This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution. Today, we are going to be discussing Hitting the Right Rhythm in Mediation with Michael DiLiberto. Michael is a longtime friend of mine. He is an internationally recognized mediator and arbitrator. He is uh, just uh, one heck of a great mediator. Uh, he is uh, a, also a skilled musician, uh, an excellent drummer, I've, I've witnessed that recently and uh, enjoyed every minute of it. And Michael is also an administrative law judge pro tem at the Office of the Administrative Hearings and conducts administrative hearings for the state of California and various agencies of the state. Uh, but primarily, Michael's job is as a mediator, and he is with ADR Services on the ADR Services panel. Thank you for joining us today, Michael. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you, Lynn. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You know, one of the things that I I have always thought about you, Michael, is you're, you're kind of a Renaissance man. I mean, you do writing, you do acting, you do music, uh, law, all of those things, and, and also train other mediators. Uh, in not just in the United States, but in, in other countries. Uh, you're fluent in Spanish. How did you acquire all of these skills along the way? Well, I stay up late at night. That's one way. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been around for a while, too. That helps as well. One of the things that uh, that Michael and, and I share is that we are both uh, adjuncts at uh, Loyola Law School, and we both uh, taught negotiation one of the areas covered by the negotiation process is something called information gathering. Michael, can you just give our audience your, your thoughts on the, the importance of doing that, of, of gathering information uh, both before and during the mediation process? Sure. Well, you mentioned my background as a musician. I've also, I'm also in SAG, so I have an acting background too. I did a TV show recently about two years ago and I got to play a defense trial lawyer for a criminal trial. And so basically, when I think about music, when I'm playing music, I'm having a conversation with my fellow musicians as well as with the audience. The musician Santana said that a, a good musician can tell the story in one note. So when you think about that, you want to be authentic. You want the song to be authentic. And there's an attitude that you may bring to each song and when I look at mediation, I see that really as an opportunity for the parties to have a conversation, you know, albeit it's facilitated by, by me as the mediator, but 
it, it gives the parties a chance really to have that conversation that they probably haven't ever had. You know, leading up to mediation, usually the, the cases are in litigation, the camps are drawn, the battle lines are drawn and all of that. And this is really the first time that the parties are able to really get a sense of what where the other side is coming from. What are the claims? What are the defenses? So for me, the communication really would start before the mediation. I always like to make a pre-mediation phone call and speak with the attorneys. And part of getting a good dialogue is making sure the right people are going to be at the mediation. So questions will be who's attending. We know the plaintiff is going to be there. I, I'm expecting that, but I always confirm that. And on the defense side, who's who's showing up with authority? And is this some person that has any involvement in the case? Is someone trying to defend an action they may have done that led to this, which may create certain dynamics? Is the CEO a hothead who may make a settlement more difficult? Is there someone else who can attend who may be more of a grounding influence? So you want to set the environment. Part of my role really is to also bring a, an ambiance to the, the case. I want to create an environment where people can, can speak freely without concern, hopefully, and be candid with me and with each other and allow us to explore opportunities to finally get to a settlement. So the, the pre-mediation telephone call, uh, which which I do as well, you're trying to establish in your mind kind of the rhythms that are taking place within the dispute. Is that pretty much what we're talking about? Yeah, that's true, as well as kind of like the uh, the vibe, so to speak. Are the parties, can they, do they not, is it a situation where they can't be in the same room together? Which, by the way, you know, these days the model has been more to the, the caucus as a default, where you're putting parties in separate rooms and you've got your private room that you go back and forth with. But there are times where as mediators, just to encourage that conversation, sometimes we'll meet with just the principals, of course, with approval from the attorneys first, to sometimes get more of a direct conversation that can be more productive than people on different sides of the, the table, so to speak. So I'm trying to get a sense of, uh, is there any animosity that's been built up? And by the way, the animosity can be with the attorneys, not just the parties. There may be something that happened in discovery or some dirty trick that someone feels was played on them leading up to the mediation that maybe created some bad blood between the attorneys. So I wanna get a sense of, can they get along? Can they work together? What are their expectations? And sometimes people will be candid and give me a sense of where they think they might wanna go. And I'll keep that in my back pocket. So I at least have that information from the start. So what you're trying to do is you are trying to establish where the myriad of disputes might be, not just the case that needs to be settled, because there is kind of the component parts. It seems to me, and I keep going back to this theme, but it seems to me that the component parts of putting together a band uh, are essentially parallel to this. Uh, Am I reading too much into it? Well, the band analogy is really good, actually, because like my band, we just played the ADR services party and I had a 10 piece classic rock band there. And you've got all those different voices and we're all talking at the same time for the most time. And some, sometimes people are laying out for different sections, but a lot of voices are contributing to that sound. And similarly in a mediation, you've got a lot of voices that are speaking 
and a lot of needs and interests to meet. You know, you've got a, uh, let's say it's a plaintiff on a contingency basis. So you've got the attorney who is uh, concerned about their client as well as what the contingency may result in. You've got the client trying to determine, well, what's my net after the contingency fee and the costs are deducted. You've got the defense wondering, you know, is this going to open up more uh, more litigation if we settle with this person? And can we trust confidentiality that they won't tell uh, another uh, employee at the at the company? So a lot of concerns and interests you have to deal with at the at the mediation, and you have to hear those all at the same time. You're kind of juggling all those simultaneously. What you've described is what you need to listen to, not the direction that you give to the mediation, but the things that you need to listen to, to put everyone in a position where uh, they can settle it. Is that pretty much it? Yes, listening is really one of the top skills for the mediator, as well as for the attorneys, because really they should, before the mediation, have a kind of a planning session with their client, maybe not so much a formal one, but at least a conversation to get a sense of what their expectations are. There are times in mediation where really that's being discussed for the first time when I first see them eye to eye, or if it's on a Zoom when we let them in and they're in their private room and they wanna take some time to speak with their client. So it's good to have that conversation. It's probably better to have it before the day of the mediation, just so you can do more planning as to things like the bargaining range and where you may want to set your your last and best so to speak uh, right. walk away number just to get a sense of what the bargaining range may be which can also help you decide where you open as far as an opening demand or an opening offer thank you michael and we're going to take a break now and and you're listening to masters of dispute resolution our guest is michael Diliberto, and we're chatting about a number of things uh, including uh, hitting the right rhythm in mediation and we will be back thank you most attorneys need professional liability coverage but very few are professional liability experts and there's so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance how do you know how much coverage you need what should your policy limits be what if you've had a past claim you shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage and with lawyer specific insurance brokerage on your side you won't have to they're professional liability experts, shop California's leading professional liability carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the right price. Lawyer-specific founders Alan Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California and find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to lawyerspecific.com and click request a quote. Thank you, Daryl. And uh we are back. We're talking with Michael Diliberto. Uh, you're listening to Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io. And uh, what we're going to be talking about now uh, is essential for a mediator. And that is that the parties trust the mediator in the process. Uh, can you comment on that, Michael? Sure. As far as the mediator building trust, I would say that I would refer to one of uh, Robert Cialdini's principles of persuasion, so to speak, because really mediators are trying to persuade people to settle their case for both sides. So we're we're being persuasive in our techniques as far as, well, one of those is by building trust. And the purpose of building trust is so that the parties will be candid with us, hopefully, 
be less reticent to share information because information is key to settling cases. When cases don't settle many times, it's because there may be some missing ingredients or missing facts or understandings that just allow people to be able to make an informed decision. So part of the benefits of using separate caucus rooms is it allows the mediator to meet separately with the parties and start having a dialogue directly with each party separately. And that would trigger the liking principle of Cialdini, which by the way, this is a principle that I would advise the lawyers to apply as well. And that that's another topic we can talk about regarding civility and how important that is in mediation and as well as litigation. But from the mediator perspective, if the client trusts you and, and likes the mediator, then they're going to listen to what the mediator has to say, whether it's good news or bad news or suggestions. Many times the attorneys may say, well, Michael, what do you think? And well, maybe I'll tell them what I think. And hopefully the client will be more receptive to that. And many times we as mediators can help the lawyers get through to a client. I can, you know, I think we both have experienced that where the lawyers right, may right. say, Michael, I need your help to have my client understand where this case is and where it's going. And so we become the ally with the attorney to help them persuade their client to maybe adjust some expectations they may have had or an interpretation of the case because it's so easy when you've been living a lawsuit sometimes for years to really just be drinking the Kool-Aid and and not seeing another perspective and always looking for some kind of a bias that confirms your your beliefs and part of our job is to to really uh, bring a new perspective to the case that uh, we want people to consider to help them settle. M- Michael, can, can you give us an example of, of that that that's occurred in uh, mediation recently uh, where you've had to uh, you've had to help the attorney overcome the this confirmation bias that you you've described? Can, can you think of one? Well, as far as overcoming that, it, it happens a lot, actually. And it's really a matter of after you've had the client uh, understand that you are an authority, that's part of the principle, too. If, you, if you're seen as someone with knowledge and understanding of the area, for example, and, and you mentioned in the intro that I, I'm also a judge, I'm a pro tem judge, so I, I come from a background of sitting on the bench, and if I do a lot of hearings in various formats. I do, uh, I've done over 3,000 mediations, and I do a brief intro, and I get into a little bit of a conversation about my background, not, not lengthy, but just a little bit so the, the client and the parties can understand my background. And part of that is also building that authority principle that if it comes time for me to maybe evaluate something, if requested, or even sometimes not requested, depending on the dynamics, that again, the, that the client would trust that advice. And when that advice aligns with the attorney, because I'm never gonna go against an attorney. I'm not gonna make, my, my role is not to make an attorney look bad. That's not what I'm there for. I'm really to help build the relationship between the client and their attorney. And one way to do that is to help uh, the lawyer's client see things from, in some instances, the attorney's perspective. And when those aren't in alignment, I can assist in that, in, in explaining it in, in my way as a, as a third party neutral to get that point across. And you do that through having the authority to know what you're talking about, the experience, the people skills. Uh, you know, part of building trust too is just if, if they like you, part of liking is uh, shared interests. During the discussion, you mentioned my music background. There are 
I just had an employment case the other day where the president of the company that was being sued was also a guitar player. So we got to talk about some music a little bit. So just simple things of discussing common interests. I've done a lot of traveling and interacted with different cultures. There's usually some place I've been to that if I have a party from overseas, we, we can talk about that. I had a gentleman from India and I mentioned a place named Muknat that's in uh, Nepal <laughs> where I went hiking, trekking and, you know, just weird things like that, that uh, make people, they, they just do, they're taken aback. Like, wow, you've been to Muktanat? I know that place. You know, we went there to, to do something. And so things like that uh, build rapport. And that's part of what helps build trust as well. How can attorneys help you build trust so that you can help them? Well, if I don't already sense the problem, that would be a good thing to point out in the pre-mediation phone call that I usually try to make. Uh, letting me know that you've got some concerns or issues with the client and what they are. If uh, sometimes people have had a prior mediation and letting me know what the, the stumbling block was previously would be helpful to know. Uh, but most are cases of first impression. So just uh, in that discussion, I, I do try to get through some of the issues and see where the, the problem areas may be. And uh, sometimes I'll even do some, some case research so that if we need to talk about the law, which is important. It's not always about the law and mediation, as you know, but certainly the law matters in, when it comes to evaluating uh, percentages of prevailing or not and things of that nature. So I just want to be able to have all that at my fingertips at mediation. But I can give you an example, a war story just from recently involving Please. having built trust, how it was helpful to settle a case. And it was an unusual outcome. It was an employment case. And typically in employment cases where we're discussing money, as a form of compensation for some wrong that was allegedly uh, had occurred. And this one involved a, uh, a senior level executive who had been fired from a publicly traded company. So he was suing for various claims such as discrimination and retaliation. And during the course of the conversation, you know, we, we had some high uh, seven figure numbers to begin. We had some low uh, counters and at some point, I learned that the company owned some intellectual property. It was in the pharmaceutical industry, and they have since moved on to other research and development. And I also learned from caucusing with the employee that he had expressed a passion for the effectiveness of that product that was now no longer in the market. And he had seen personally how it had helped people. So I began to float the idea of the company possibly transferring those IP rights to the former employee. So I asked him and he and his attorney said, you know, that sounds interesting. They, they spoke for a little bit in private and then brought me back in and said, you know, if the company's on board, we, we certainly want to talk about that. And I had the same private conversation with the company and they, uh, they kicked me out of the room again to have a private discussion and brought me back in. And they said, you know, we could, we could also get behind that as well. So then I just, it led to more formal discussions during the mediation. And the result was that the employee is going to, the former employee, by the way, is going to run with the product on his own. He apparently has some investors he can line up and the company is going to receive a back-end deal for a percentage of the profits. And that would solve the determination issue. That, was, that would be the final result. So, you know, it's an example also of how as a mediator, it's really not up to us to determine what's fair or what has value. It seems that for the company, maybe it wasn't valuable for them for various reasons and for the employee it was extremely valuable. So 
there's an example of a win-win, as cliche as that may sound. Right. But uh, you can have those in mediation. Not everybody has to go home unhappy. You know, that's the old saw. It's only a good deal if everybody's unhappy. Right. Well, that's true, but it's not always true. It doesn't have to be true. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you um, for that. That's a that's a great story. Uh, I'm chatting with Michael Diliberto about uh, the rhythm in mediation and uh, how Michael brings people together. Uh, this is uh, Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips.io, and when we return, uh, we are going to be talking about, among other things, uh, the things that attorneys might do to. Well, we've talked about what they might do to help. What might they do that is not quite so helpful? We'll be right back. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, nadn.org, is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today, with over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online, making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.nadn.org. Dot org today. All right, we are back. Uh, this is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, and I'm chatting with Michael Diliberto. Uh, Michael has given us some great examples of things that attorneys uh, have, have done to help, but uh, what happens sometimes when attorneys are not quite so helpful? Do you have some examples for that, Michael? I know that some Harvard Law School professors uh, did a study on uh, some of the most common difficult tactics that they just encountered in negotiations. And I like to talk about that and what you might encounter, and then we can talk about how you, how you counteract that aspect. <laughs> sure. So I'd say maybe number one on the list would be extreme demands or offers, followed by very small, slow concessions. So if you, if you experience that, one way to counter that would be, keep in mind, this is to anchor your expectations. So you can counter this by basically knowing your own target, what your own reservation point, and what your alternatives to a deal would be getting into the BATNA aspect. So I would say that's, that's one. Another one that comes up a lot are these commitment tactics, where your opponent claims that his or her hands are tied, or they have limited discretion, I would say just have some healthy skepticism about that. And again, you can counter this by asking questions to test whether or not those commitment tactics are real. Uh, number three, I would say would be take it or leave it offers. I think we've all seen that. Now as mediators, we never believe a final final offer. And I think the most attorneys these days are sophisticated enough today to know not to accept one either. So people always test that. So 
My advice would be it's just best to ignore the tactic and remind them that offers are always negotiable and then focus on the content of their offer and respond with their own counter offer. And that's what I see in general people do, or at least I might advise, look, you know, if you, uh, instead of giving up, if you can test it, go ahead and test that. So, so you're acting as a coach, a negotiations coach as part of the process. And how often do people generally listen to what you have to say about tactics or do they just soldier on with things that might not be quite so conducive to getting things settled where everyone's interests are taken into account? You know, it's easy for counsel to get discouraged and the parties and and also some parties just don't have patience. A mediation, they're usually booked for a half day or a full day. And some people just don't have the patience to sit there for a full day, which sometimes it will take a full day or even beyond that to to settle the case. I, I'll never forget my record case. <laughs> I had a, it was a real estate case years ago, and it was a multicultural case as well, three different parties. And it went, we started Friday morning at nine o'clock in the morning, and we left at around 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. <laughs> and it was, it was well, one party got out at 8 p.m., and, and one reason why it went so long, too, was they redrafted all the escrow instructions and everything else. And it was pretty complicated. It was a commercial property with a lot of issues. The funny thing was that case almost fell apart at noon around lunchtime. And one thing I did there was one party said, I'm leaving. So I made a display of the fact that they were leaving and let the other party know that they were leaving. And that kind of uh, jolted them to think, uh, you know, this is going to fall apart. I better start responding here. And it it actually had the desired effect. It uh, did spur the other side to get back in the game. And uh, from noon, we went on until that crazy hour of the morning. But uh, that's 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 very unusual. I mean, we've gone to one a.m. to things like that. But typically, we're we're settling around six or maybe seven p.m. or something like that. That was right. that was kind of a one-off. But uh, yeah, it's easier for people to get discouraged. So I need to, uh, in addition to creating the ambiance that's conducive to settlement, but also exchange the information so people can uh, have information available to make the, a smart choice, but also. Uh, encourage people to keep going and not just just pack it in and if someone gets a hardball tactic and they're it i'm offended and we can't respond to this i i may uh, coach them to say look you know why don't you why don't you test that or why don't you at least put something on the board don't make me go back and have them bid against themselves that's one of the other tactics inviting an unreciprocated offer and i i would say don't bid against yourself wait for what i would advise you would be don't bid against yourself or wait for a counter offer before reducing your demand or increasing your offer. That would be probably number four on my list as far as the, the tactics. Well, Mike, Michael, let, let me just, let me just interject. Uh, what, what you had talked about people walking away. I, I, I had it actually an in-person mediation, which is not very common these days, uh, a few months ago. And, um, I can't even tell you how many times one of the parties stood up, put on his coat and said, I'm leaving. Um, And um, it was always it was always a show. It was always designed to get another concession out of the other side. And I will say that the last time he pulled the tactic, it was okay. go ahead and go. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that was it. And that was it because uh, the, 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 there was not going to be a win-win uh, in, in that situation. There was just a, an, an attempt to, let's see what I can get out of them. Uh, that, that was the tactic. So I have a funny story. Uh, yeah. You know, Steve Rotman, he's now a mediator, mm. but before yeah. he mediated, I, uh, I mediated, he was representing a party in a malpractice claim. His client was the attorney being sued for malpractice. And we were working very hard during the day to get the case settled. And I had something on the table that would really be, his attorney thought was a great outcome. And mm -hmm. certainly I agreed with that. And so uh, his client attorney wanted to leave and I literally blocked the door. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said you know, cause he was very emotional. It's personal. I, I think he didn't even have coverage. So was yeah. he was personally liable. So obviously the emotions are running high. You know, I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong, et cetera. And I said, look, this deal, you cannot leave this deal on the table and not, and not accept this. I can't let you do this. And so I tried to help him get more rational. And part of that was just not letting him run away. And so by me blocking the door in a friendly manner, I wasn't uh, you know, overbearing like that, but it was uh, in, a, in a way where he was able to, to sit down again and he and Steve talked again and we got the case settled. But uh, right. I got a postcard from Steve later saying, uh, great door blocking. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, we're you're listening to Masters of Dispute Resolution. Our guest is Michael Diliberto. Uh, Michael has a just a heck of a lot to say about mediation that we are not going to be able to get everything in in this session. Um, but Michael is invited to come back, and uh, we will. We will schedule another session at, at some point. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, Michael, but I think that's what we will do. Um, all right. And, all right. and uh, talk about being overbearing here. Um, in any event, we will be back. Uh, and when we come back, among other things, uh, we will be discussing uh, creating a win-win situation another way. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder, Lucy Barron, for supporting this podcast. ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Welcome back, everyone. We are Masters of Dispute Resolution and uh, on podclips.io. Uh, I'm Len Levy, and my guest is Michael DiLiberto, who is talking about things mediation uh, in, in general and uh, how Michael in the, has created a, a learning experience uh, for all the parties and by what he's saying today. One of the, the things that you talked about was to creating a win-win situation. Michael, uh, can you give me a little bit more in terms of situations where that win-win has uh, has come to, to pass? Yes. 
as mentioned, in most of the cases we see, people are fighting about money. And so normally there's a opening demand for monetary amount, and then there's a counteroffer for a monetary amount. And we have a bargaining range that's set. And we spend the day with mutual concessions trying to close that range, which can be a huge gap or not so huge gap. It just depends on uh, where we open up there and where we move and talk about rhythm. Some cases move slower than other for negotiating. Some people uh, move it along quickly, some uh, less so. So just like the music analogy, there are ballads, slow songs, and there are more danceable tunes that are a quicker beat per minute. So you know, mediations are like that too. And that's one of the fun things about this job is that no two cases are the same. You may have two employment cases uh, back to back and uh, they're completely different rhythms and outcomes and dynamics and emotions and things that are discussed. So it keeps uh, life interesting for, for me as a mediator, I will say that. You don't want to shortcut the dance I- either. I mean, you, you, you don't want to cut off the, the, the music before uh, everyone's ready to stop dancing. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, timing's important. Just, you know, as a drummer, I'm all about time. <laughs> and uh, timing and mediation is important, too, for certain uh, moves, possibly. Uh, I always mentioned if you're going to make a big move, you know, it's better to do it early on because you can always slow down later if you think you need to do that. And the numbers, just like notes can tell stories in music, uh, the numbers commu- communicate something to the other side as well. Sometimes that's, it can be misconstrued, and that's where I might come in to, to explain the number and give a message with the number to maybe soften some impact of that perception that's being portrayed through the numbers. But once I've acquired information through the information gathering, and if we can expand the pie, that's always a fun thing to do too. If there's things maybe either in addition to money, or as I mentioned in that other case, uh, it was actually in a, in exclusive to the money, which just basically I'll take the IP rights. I had a, another case. This one was a intellectual property case involving trademark. It was a cross-cultural trademark case that had been hard fought for many years. And during the mediation, I discovered that the defendant had established its business in overseas territories that the plaintiff desired. It was basically, it was a, a jeans company that was suing a motorcycle helmet company. And the plaintiff would have had to spend great sums to develop in the market the defendant was already in. So at some point I suggested the idea of the plaintiff uh, granting the defendant the license to use the plaintiff's trademarks on its products. And at first the parties rebuffed my idea of a license, but they later kind of warmed up to the concept. And then by 1 a.m., the next morning, the parties left my office with a signed exclusive 10-year license agreement, which allowed plaintiff's products, well, let the plaintiff to profit from the license with a link on the defendant's website that would introduce the plaintiff's products to the defendant's customers for purchase. So both sides were thrilled with the final result. Here's an example of a case that had been hard fought for years and it was transformed into a business deal where they became business colleagues. So as a mediator, it's certainly satisfying to turn a bitter dispute between warring parties into an opportunity that can mutually benefit the parties. And then, of course, the lawyers in that case, they look like geniuses, too, because now they bring their clients in in the middle of a battle and now they walk out with a business deal. So it's an example of, again, helping the lawyers help their clients cement that relationship as well. Michael, you know, you've mentioned lawyers a number of times and uh, getting an idea of the dispute, not just including the parties, uh, but also sometimes including the lawyers. 
I'm just wondering whether you've seen an increase or decrease in civility lately in people's approaches to mediation. Yes, civility is important. And any, any trial judge will tell you that. And as mediators, we certainly concur with that. I've seen personally in mediation in private caucuses where a defendant was willing to pay more money to a plaintiff and the attorney has blocked that based on some personal, let's call it incivility or insult or something that's happened leading up to the mediation just between the attorneys. So going back to the Cialdini liking principle, you know, if you're able to build rapport with the other side, with the other attorney, if you're the lawyer and you want to build rapport with the other attorney for various reasons, and one of which is to help your client. You know, the old school approach would be, I've got to knock heads together and not grant a continuance for anything and make them fight and claw for any concession and litigation. And what I noticed, I did a trial when I was still trying cases years ago. Uh, I was uh, with a old war trial dog and he uh, was so courteous to the other attorney. And even on cross-exam, he was courteous to the witnesses. It was almost like he, he knew the guy. It was, it was almost like they had a personal rapport and he was very effective. And that had an impression on me then as a trial lawyer and I would say now as a mediator, if you can build rapport with the other attorney, you don't have to be their best friend. But if they ask for a continuance, grant the continuance. You know, usually a judge will grant it if they have to file the motion anyway. Why make them go through the song and dance of filing the motion? And you're, you're planting reciprocity. If you need a favor from them, they're more inclined to grant it to you, and which helps your client as well. So you know, keep in mind, it's for the benefit of the client that, that we're all doing this. And... There's a recent case that came out as well involving civility. It, was, it involved a request for attorney's fees and the Court of Appeal actually held that civility is an important skill used in negotiations and uh, that um, civility is held as an aspect of skill to be considered in awarding attorney's fees. So the court basically found that if you if you do things to make a case more contentious, which then raises the attorney's fees, you're not exhibiting competent lawyer skills. And they took that into account and reduced an attorney fee request based on what the court found was someone that basically exacerbated everything in the case to, to drive the fees higher by being uncivil in part. And there was a claim that there was some name calling, which I think was disputed by that attorney. Right. But the finding was there was uh, incivility and basically it uh, impacted the award of attorney's fees. So so I would say that civility uh, not only helps you settle cases, because another example I've, I've seen is I'll, uh, on, on the occasions when I get the attorneys together, many times it's positive. We can have a, a candid conversation that can advance the settlement negotiations forward. But there are times where, <laughs> despite the peace we've had and the progress we've made leading up to this conference with just me and the attorneys, one, one lawyer kind of just goes off the rails and starts picking on the other side or maybe insulting and it can be in various forms. And I just have to roll my eyes like, what are you doing? We've, we've built so much goodwill and momentum and it, it can be killed and just, it's just like with a reputation, you can ruin a reputation much quicker than it takes to build a good reputation. Just like in the mediation, you can kill all the rapport that's been built and the progress in just one stupid comment or gesture or something along those lines. So. By maintaining civility, there are so many benefits 
that benefit the client, that I would certainly encourage that. And and I, I found too, Michael. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Lack of civility also somehow creeps in to affect the credibility of the attorney. You don't tend to believe people who are pulling uh, things that you think are just not correct. And um, so, um, Michael, we're we're just pretty much out of time. And um, I, I before we wrap up, I, I'd like to know, uh, can you tell the listeners how they best can contact you to learn more? Sure. My website is, uh, it's my last name, com, and I can be reached there. I do some negotiation tips that you can find on there. I try to get a monthly article out to help uh, litigators to have some uh, tips on how to help settle cases. Okay, Michael, th- this has just been a load of fun for me, and, and I hope the, the listeners have enjoyed it. This has really been a learning experience for everyone, uh, and please take advantage of it. Michael, I hope to have you get back as a guest, as I mentioned earlier, and um, look forward to it. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. That would be my pleasure. Thank, thank you, and, and thank you, Daryl Wayne, um, who is a, a, my engineer and producer today. Uh, I'm Len Levy, and this is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, powered by Infogen Labs, Inc. Stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at adrservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com, telephone him at 818-903-5562, or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.